Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Most great people have attained their greatest success just one step beyond the greatest failure. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Lab podcast, our featured Guest today is Mr. Charles Dobbin. He's the principal and owner of Dobbin's Laws, a boutique law firm dedicated to practicing multifamily acquisition. They specialize in multifamily acquisition and disposition. He's a successful attorney, apartment investor, and founder of the Multifamily Investing Academy. Charles has personally acquired over $20 million in apartment. He has also been involved on behalf of his clients in over $3 billion in transactions, a pilot, and one of my best mentors. It's an honor to have you on the show, Charlie. V, it's so good to talk with you. Awesome. Thank you, Charlie. We start the show with every guest asking the guest for a favorite success or a mindset quote. What's yours? Okay, so mine is, comes from Napoleon Hill, and I'll, I'll give you his quote, but then I'll uh, tell you the the shorter version, which is most great people have attained their greatest success just one step beyond the greatest failure. And otherwise known of as you are three feet from gold. And that's whenever I think of that, like when I think about quitting, when I think about, you know, giving up, I think, oh, I'm just three feet from gold. Now, believe me, there have been times when I should have given up a lot sooner but you still have to stay at it. You got to give everything your best effort. That's for darn sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, so let's for the audience to understand where you're coming from. Can you walk us back to the Dobbins household? What was it like growing up in your household? Oh, it was great. I had great parents. My father was an, a life insurance agent. He was like the consummate insurance agent. You know, he knew everybody in town and everybody knew and loved him. My mother was probably the smartest person I ever knew. She had the most incredible vocabulary. She knew every word in the English dictionary. And she was just a great mother. And, and I had an older brother who was brilliant and a younger sister who was a pain in the behind. And, uh, She's one of my best friends now, and uh, but it was great. We, uh, I mean, and my parents did everything they could to give us what they needed. It's like you know, we got what we needed, uh, not what we wanted, and it was a great, it was a fantastic household. Yep, and also you know, kind of uh, really. The entrepreneurial bent came right out of my father. I mean, he had to work for himself. He couldn't work for anyone else. My mother was more of the, you know, go work for a company all your life and get the paycheck. And, you know, obviously that, I think that the, my father's mindset rubbed off on me and uh, my mother's mindset rubbed off on my brother and sister. That's for sure. That's awesome. So you learn all this entrepreneurial spirit from your father. Yeah. Did you do any of this in uh, high school? What were you like in high school? Okay, well, I guess you could say the first business I, I ran was a rubber stamp business. I bought Warren 
publishing rubber stamp business when I was uh, about 13, 14 years old. And I, and I made rubber stamps for printing companies around Nashua. I'd give them a 24-hour turnaround. So that was my first business. You know, then I'd go out and caddy and have my paper boy, a route, and that type of thing. But one of the things I always looked at were the guys in my town who were successful real estate people. And of course, you had the big names. You knew who they were, and uh, but then there were a whole lo- another level of you know in real estate investors that you never knew about. But they were just doing it slow and steady and building up their net worth. And those guys fascinated me the most is that they were um, just buying property, you know, little by little, and building up their portfolio. And uh, you know, I got to know a lot of people like that as well. All right. So you mentioned about that. So I hear that. At a young age, Bill Gates had access to mainframe computers, so it turns out yeah. to be a huge success in this field. And you yeah. had access to see all these wealthy people in your town in New Hampshire, you know, buying all this property and got wealthy. Now, how had your close proximity to those people, and especially access to your family friend Sam Temposi, help you yeah. in the real estate game? You know what? I'll tell you something. Part of what I feel is my shortcoming, or where I felt I I kind of blew it, was in having a lack of confidence in my abilities at a young age. I never thought I could do these things. I never thought, I thought everything was unattainable. Like you know, they're out of my reach. So I didn't have the confidence to say, you know what, I'm going after it. Like right out of college, I'm going after the real estate. This is what I want to do. I didn't have that confidence in my abilities. And I got to tell you, a lot of people uh, that come into my program the same way. And they get to a certain point in their life where they're like, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I can do these things. If that guy can do it, I can do it. And it took me years to get to that point. So, you know, at most, if, at most, what these guys showed me was that anybody can do it. These guys came from the same humble beginnings that I did, and they were out there knocking it out, you know, becoming a part owner of the Boston Red Sox from a guy that started uh, by selling insurance. So that's, um, yeah, that's how it how it worked. So Sam was the guy who did real estate and then became part owner of the Red Sox? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that guy, he was, listen, you heard me, you hear me say it all the time, V, this is a sales and marketing business. The most successful people in this business are the people that, that are good sales and marketing people. Sam Tamposi sold, you know, uh, vacuum cleaners door to door. He sold insurance and then he sold real estate and then he got into into the game and yeah, he's the guy that ended up becoming a part owner of the Red Sox. That's, yeah. that's incredible. You know, another, another buddy of mine, it's, it's so cool just to think back that my buddy's father, good friends with Sam Tamposi, down, and they were down in Florida at, at their place, and Sam Tamposi's on the phone trying to put together the half a million dollars he, put, he had to buy the, real, the Red Sox. And, you know, he just told me that whole story that was fascinating to me. On the phone? Over on the, the phone, phone. <laughs> in Florida, talking to the banks up in New Hampshire so that they could write a check to the Red Sox organization so Sam could buy his, his uh, partnership. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll have to get more details on that story. Like, when did it happen? What was the year? That type of thing. It's not like today where you, you know, not like today where, where Sam Tamposi could have Venmoed the money. <laughs> he probably did. would too. He would have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, he, you had access to him. So, I mean, th- were you able to learn anything from him? What, what's your personal op- opinion about coaching and mastermind, you know, from that experience? 
Oh, well, the, that came about later for me. I didn't realize that there were, you know, you had a need for a, a coach or a mentor. The, I guess the first coach that I could say coached me was John Dobbins, who was the, as I describe him as the millionaire egg farmer. He was the guy that I went to him and said, John, I want to do what you do. How do you do it? And he gave me the book and said, go out and do this book. And that was, that was his coaching. And of course, I didn't do it. I sat on my duff for another 10 years and, uh, you know, uh, went deeper into the rabbit hole in the insurance business before I finally said, I'm done. I, I know that's it. I'm going to burn the ships and I got to I got to start doing this or I'll live a life of always wishing what would have happened. I mean, that's why I mean, I, I stress this to people. I said, that's why, I, you know, later on in life, I became a pilot. I've wanted to fly since I was five years old, and I didn't want to be on my deathbed saying, I wish I had tr got my pilot's license. I didn't want to be the guy that on his deathbed said, I, geez, I wish I had bought all that real estate that other people did. So that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, you actually, I, I when I listened to you on our uh, weekly call about you getting the pilot license, I actually took lessons also. Oh, good. It freaked the crap out of me when we did the, the intro flight and I yeah. did the um, power on, power off stall. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was that was nuts. Oh, <laughs> I love that. That's fun. I, I mean, part of the joy of flying is just that rush that, you know, that your adrenaline rush, like, hey, you're alive and. Just between you and the ground, man. You gotta, you gotta make sure you get this thing on the ground. Fight it all the way to the ground if you have to. So, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's good. So, you mentioned John gave you a, a book. What's the title of that book? Okay, I'm gonna paraphrase it because I'm not gonna get it right. But I think that I think the author's name is William Nickerson. I may be wrong. It's like how I turned. A thousand dollars into a million dollars in my spare time in real estate, something like that. Let me see if I can see if I can get a into five million. Here it is. What's the guy's name? Yeah, so it's Williams Nickerson. How I turn one thousand dollars into a million in real estate in my spare time. Yep, that's what. That's it. And. John gave that book to me. He said, listen, the numbers are off. The numbers are dated. And they're even more dated now. John, I talked. I had this conversation with John 20 years ago. And he said, probably more than that. And he said, the numbers are all outdated, but the concepts are all the same. And that's this is the book that John, John Dobbins, uh, get out of the chicken farm business and uh, get into real estate. This is it. And you were in the insurance industry. And was it at the time... When he gave you this book, you were doing that and you were yeah, switch yeah. over? Actually, I went to see him because he was a client of my father's and I went to see him to, um, to you know, get him to sign some documents for my dad. And I walked into his office and he's in his property management office with his wife and they're just managing the books and running the properties. And I thought, man, this is what I want to do. So you saw all that success and then you're like, okay, I'm done with the, in the uh, insurance. I want to do real estate. I'm going to quit. Oh, not exactly. No, no, no. It was, uh, I, like I said, I took that book, I brought it home, and I put it with all my other real estate books right on my bookshelf, and I got up and went to work every day and, you know, stayed just about broke in the insurance business, and and it was just another 10 years or so before I finally said, this is not the life I want to li live. 
And I did not want to be 65 years old and wake up wondering what happened in my life, you know, wishing, you know, waiting for that social security check to come in because I needed it, you know? So that's, uh, it took a few more years before I finally said, I've had it. No way, no way am I going to do this. I've, I've got to move on. So when you switch over, was your wife okay with the move? Oh yeah, very much so. I mean, it, she, it, her family had been, they had done a lot of real estate investing as well. They own a couple of apartment complexes and what have you. So uh, when I told her, I said, I can't do this anymore. She says, what do you want to do? I said, I want to own apartments. I've always wanted to own apartments. She says, okay, let's do it. So I sold the insurance business and we went into buying apartments. And that was, you know, I had owned my own insurance firm at, you know, at that time. You know, I had about 35 employees working for me. I, you know, I, I, I would get up and go to work almost seven days a week and i just dreaded it i hated it i hated uh the business i hated the cutthroatness of the business the backstabbingness of the business and i just didn't want to live that way it, it's just not a healthy existence and so i um found a buyer of my business and i sold it and as i i say i burned the ships and for those of you that don't understand that uh, that expression you you should get out there and uh, look it up because it's a great Great euphemism, great uh, analogy to use when you're deciding that I'm getting out of what I used to do, never going back to it, and now I'm going into something new. I've burnt all the ships. I, there's, no, there's no return. That's great. You burned the ship, so now it's all apartment. You're going at this 100%. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what happened. And, and we started, you know, we per- bought probably at the height i think we had about 800 uh, units that we were owning and operating so yeah we got we got uh it was a different world back then when i first got started it's uh changed quite a bit since then but you know it's it all boils down to the same thing you know you're taking a dollar you pay out 80 cents and and you got a business right so your first year after you switch what was your goal for that first year okay Now, I teach people how to own a thousand apartments in five years. And the concept behind that number was the exact same concept I had when I first started. Let me just click on this. When I first started uh, going after deals, and that was to, I, all I wanted was to own 20 units in the first year. That was my goal. I didn't want to do anything else. And what happened was that turned out to be. A little easier than I expected. I mean, my job from an operational standpoint was to make at least two offers a week. That I knew, because of the sales and marketing background that I came from, I knew that I had to make offers. And if I wasn't making offers, this this business would never get off the ground. So I really set it as a goal to make two offers a week and see what happened. And you know what happened is you start to expose yourself to the multifamily world. And you start to have other people realize, hey, this guy's in the business, so let's you know, help him out or keep our eye on him. And what happened was by doing all these offers, I met a broker out in, um, she was in Cincinnati. And she said, listen, I know what you want. I know what you're looking for. I will find it for you. And as soon as I find it for you, I will call you up. Better have your check ready because you'll have to write an earnest money deposit check when uh, when I call you. I said, okay, fine. Sounds good to me. Let's do it. And about, I want to say two months, but it might have been as quickly as two weeks later, I got a phone call from her. I said, I found your property. Come on out. It's in Michigan, and uh, you're buying it. 
And so I go out there, and it is a 40-unit property. Now, V, that's twice as much as I expected to buy in the first year. I mean, how can this possibly be? And we looked at it, and it was a great property, and we decided to buy it. And that that's how we got started. Was it a class A, B, or C property? This one was A minus... You know, about ten years old, so it's starting to move down the uh, food chain a little bit. It was about, it was, I would consider it still in the A category. Nice property. So you bought this forty units, and how long did it take you to get the next one? Sixty days, because what had happened was the bank that we bought. Well, we didn't buy it from the bank; we bought it from an owner who was in trouble with the bank, and the guy owned one hundred twenty-eight units. Well. I was in no position to buy 120 units, so I went off and bought the nice part of the 128. I bought, he carved off the 40. I bought the 40. And we started having a good relationship with that bank, and we went out to, you know, start just raise money among friends and family. And then about uh, a month or so later, the bank came to us and said, hey, you want to buy the 88 units across the street? Because they were going to take it back from the guy. And I said, I said, geez, I don't have the money to do that. I just ran out of friends and family who have cash right now. So I don't think I could do that, the other 88. And they said, how much do you think you'd need? And I said, eh, probably about $750,000. And they said, well, what if we lent it to you? And you know what that means, V. They were talking a no money down deal. And I covered up the mouthpiece and turned to my wife and said, hey, they want to give us the $750,000 to buy the 88 across the street what should i tell them and my wife said ask them how quickly we can close and so shortly thereafter our first 40 we now own 128 and it all goes back to activity v you got to get out there you got to make the offers if you're not making the offers nothing is going to happen right when when you take your first deals down it's like a lot of doors open for you oh yeah yeah yep and the thing is if you're not doing it this is just you and me talking. And if you're not making offers, it's as the equivalent of you sitting above your mother's garage. Nobody, you know, Nobody's going to give you any credibility. So then after you crush it in your first year, what happened next? Did you buy more? Yeah, we bought more. We did it in a couple of different ways. I mean, some deals were master lease options. Uh, let me see. Another property was we went out and raised syndicated uh, deals, a couple of syndications. And then what happened is we got involved with partners in order to help us grow faster. And, you know, that I'd never do that again. Not to say that there aren't great partnerships, and but uh, I mean, I can tell you the mistakes that I made uh, dealing with partners that uh, cost me so much, uh, you know, that really set us back. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I've had one deals that our partner is just not let's just say he's not that good as good as we thought he was oh yeah <laughs> they never are i mean there's turns out they're great salespeople too you know they're trying to sell themselves to you and you know that's the thing about getting involved with a partnership if there's something that the partner can do that you can that you can outsource to somebody and pay them a fee pay the fee Get the, you know, like, I love these guys. I, I know this one guy who thinks that every deal he gets into, he's got to cut his lawyer in on the deal because the lawyer is going to do the work for them and then we're going to give him a slice of the action. Why? 
A lawyer is a vendor. He's just a, a you know, a, a wage slave. He, you know, trades his time for money. He's not a partner. Pay him and get him out of the way. Don't give away. You know, when, you, when you are getting involved in a partnership and giving up part of your equity with another partner, you are giving away some of your children's money. Be very, very careful. You know, if, if that, you have to look at that equity that you're attaining today as being your kids' tuitions 10 years from now. Would you ever give this partner your t- kids' tuition account? Like, hell no. Well, then why are you doing it now? So, yeah, hoard your equity. Yep. Then, so you you mentioned that you did some syndication and raised private money from other folks. I understand that there was an actual lawsuit out there from the SEC against you and your yeah. wife. Yeah, my, and a partner, which is which is the whole reason why I'm so down on partnerships, is that this guy came along and said, "Hey, you know, let's be partners together on these deals." And we're like, "Yeah, okay, you know, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to raise the money. You guys go out to find the deals. You're going to, well, I'll raise the money." So he hired this guy to go out there and uh, and and put together this convertible note scheme. It was legitimate. It made sense. It was very good. But there was a disconnect on the website from what the note was secured with versus what we owned. So it was it was nothing more than than a, a problem on the website. And I'm, I'm not kidding you, folks. You can read the read the legal documents. You'll see it. But the SEC came after us and wiped me out and just, you know, it destroyed everything. It, it hurt the properties. And it all boiled, in my opinion, it all boiled down to the fact that the SEC, the Boston office of the SEC, if I was in any other part of the country, this never would have happened. But they were looking for a scapegoat because uh, Harry Markopoulos, the guy that wrote the book on on, uh, on uh, Bernie Madoff, the guy who showed the Boston office of the SEC five times that Harry Markopoulos, that uh, Bernie Madoff was running a Ponzi scheme. He was coming out with a book that was going to slam the Boston office of the SEC, and they were looking for something to get off, get them off the headlines. And I was the guy, and you know, it ended up being uh, years out of my life getting that thing resolved. And so now I teach people like this is how you do it. This is not what you do. Be very careful about partnerships. Know who your partner is, because the reason why we got sued was because of something that this partner had done that I didn't even know happened. I, I didn't know there was a disconnect on the website. I didn't even read the website. We didn't need a website. And, you know, that's where they came down on us. So, and I have a whole thing, you know, sandbagged by the SEC. I think if you go Google, you might be able to find it. It tells my side of the story. And it's a very eye-opening experience. And I, and I want people to learn from it so that they don't have the same, make the same mistakes I made. So ultimately, how did the case play out and how did you overcome that setback? You know, we settled with them just to make it go away because those, I mean, they're a billion dollar law firm. They can out lawyer me all day long. And uh, we just finally settled it with them and uh, agreed to a fine and paid the fine and are in the process of paying the fine. So it's just, it's just a, a royal pain in the ass. And this is nothing will make you a libertarian faster, V, than getting sued by the SEC or some other uh, government agency. Well, I'm converted already, so I went. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was easy. It took me a little bit longer and a lot more money. 
Well, I come from a communist country, Vietnam. So, you know, when I came over here, I was thinking like what the a lot of the folks from the socialist party now in the U.S. are thinking. But then I'm like, well, okay, I I didn't like it back there in that country. I came here. Why should I even think of that this is a good idea now? Yeah, yeah. Whatever the government can give you, they can just as easily take away. Right. Yeah, that's that's so yeah. true. Now, then you were able to now come to present time. You have built all of this back. You now have a successful life that I think you can easily retire. Yet you took on another role. You took on your, yeah. your late father's Medicare business, and then you send monthly check to your siblings. Oh, yeah. You have a successful boutique law firm. And you're still coaching new investors. So what's your drive, Charlie? Oh, my gosh. All right. This is uh, you know, the wisdom of years and also Kiyosaki with multiple streams of income. But the wisdom of years, when I was 22 years old, right out of college, and I went to work for New York Life, I told my dad, my, my sales manager was a guy by the name of Tim Miller. Tim Miller, great guy. He, he just sponsored me for the, the country club here in Nashville. We're still good friends to this day. Class act, nicest man in the world. And he was a very successful insurance agent. And I said, Tim, why would you get out of the field and go into management. You know, why would you want to do that? And he said this to me, which at the time was this, I thought the stupidest thing you could possibly think. He said, because I really enjoy helping you become successful. And as a 22 year old kid that we, you know, you don't even know what you're doing that weekend to, to think about someone else's success that way was so foreign to me. I thought that's crazy. Fast forward 33 years or what have you, and I know exactly what Tim Miller was talking about. I love helping my students get into this business. I, right now, V, I can tell you, I think I've got about seven students who are under contract on deals will be closing soon. Not all of them are going to close, but most of them are going to close. And I love getting involved in those deals and helping make sure they do everything right uh, because there are so many pitfalls in this business. You've got to know what you're doing. And I, I always tell my students, you know, you're only going to need me for the first two deals. After that, you're going to figure out how this business works. But for those first two deals, I want to make sure you do it correctly and you're off to the races and doing it right. So what happened was way back when we were buying everything, the market crashed. And I kept some properties. I lost some properties. But at that time, I had a lot of friends who were in the business as well. And they were in the same boat. They were you know, losing some, keeping some, and, and a couple of them contacted me and asked me to represent them as their attorney through the, the uh, disposition process. And uh, I got in there, and you know, at, I'll be straight with you. V, there's really not much you can do at that stage. It's kind of a foregone conclusion. This is what's going to happen to their property. But I got to see a lot of the deals and a lot of the numbers that they were looking at. And I, I keep thinking to myself, why would you have bought this property? This property is not a good property. And then, of course, they're like, oh, no, we were going to do this to the property. We're going to do that. It was going to make all this money. And I'm just shaking my head thinking like, nah, it doesn't work that way. That's, that wasn't a good deal. And I realized that after the problem happened, I'm really not that helpful. I'm just holding your hand. But if I can help you out before you get into these bad deals or before you get into, the, into a deal and make mistakes throughout the process, that's where my real 
help and my real forte can be. And that's when I started coaching and mentoring. You know, this is in addition to my regular law practice, owning and operating my properties. And then, you know, like you said, my dad passed away and uh, he left behind a nice little uh, golden goose insurance agency that just keeps spinning off money every month. And I'm, you know, I'm, my sister and I just kind of keep our eye on it and uh, cut checks to the, to all the siblings every month and everybody's happy. So, yeah, so that's, that's where I am. And, and I got to tell my, my whole day is all, all around the uh, multifamily investing academy, helping my students uh, do this deal the right way. I run it like it's my law practice, like, like every one of my clients is, is a legal client and I'm, I'm helping them do this. And I think every lawyer wants, wants my business, wants to be like me because uh, I actually love what I do. Love it. You know that, V. You see me every Monday. You know how much fun I have. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. every call full of energy. Yeah. It's good. We, get, we should have a good one coming up this Monday, too. Awesome. Awesome. And, yeah. folks, for those of you who are listening, he does write those checks out to his siblings. I yeah. uh, I actually went on YouTube, and I saw your brother confirm it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's one of those uh, videos that I was going through, and I'm like, "This guy has the same last name." And he said, "Yeah, he does pay those, you know, th- th- those checks." I'm like, "Okay, that's cool." He yeah. confirms it. <laughs> that's so funny. I didn't even know that was out there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I actually, I love, I love sending my brother money. I mean, he's a college professor out in the Midwest. You know, he doesn't probably make a whole ton of dough. You know, he's lived a very nice lifestyle out there. But hey, I get to send him some nice checks every month and it probably helps him out a lot and that's cool by me my dad did it for us and i want to keep doing it for them right now so for your coaching and mentoring side of of things your your main objective is to help people in the owners forum to buy multifamily and to get them away from all the mistakes that you did yeah 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 for someone else like for someone who is new to the business Besides that wisdom, is there anything else? Like, can you break down some barrier of entry to the to the apartment building, the buying business? Yeah. So, what happened was, you know, I I saw all of these new investors making mistakes, and I thought I can create a program where you know they can sign up with me, and I will act as their mentor, but you know, like an attorney. I look, I can feel like an attorney. Uh, and I will take them through the process to make sure that they do everything correctly. And, and I, you know, my competition out there are those big gurus that charge like forty or fifty thousand dollars for a coaching uh, program. And I think that's you know, if you're looking to get in this business, the first mistake you make is writing a five-digit check to some mentor. That just you know, you're going into a new business. Every business needs cash. You need to hoard your cash and not give it to some guy you met over a three-day boot camp weekend. So I set my program up to be a monthly fee that you know you pay. There's no contracts. You, you know, jump in, jump out. I just had somebody leave. V that, um, and this is typical of what happens when people leave. They're apologetic. They're sad. They're, they're let me hear. Let me uh, see if I can find it for you. I'll, I'll even uh, read you what this guy wrote. But what what I do is though I I tell people. Uh, hold on, let me. Oh, shoot. All right. This might take me a little bit longer. But the point is that uh, people, you know, you get in my program and you become, we become friends and we, you know, I help you out every step of the way. You have my direct access. You can contact me on my cell phone. You can text me. You can Slack me or WhatsApp me. And my job is to make sure that you get your questions answered. We don't have those, you know, twice monthly coaching calls where, you know, we 
sit on the phone for half an hour. I would go out of my mind if I had to do that. I mean, if you need me, you just call me and I answer your question. We move on to the next thing, and it's a, it's a great program. But what I found out when, when I put this together is that the roadblocks that people come up against in this business are the same. Everyone comes up against the same roadblocks. So if I could come up with vehicles to overcome those roadblocks, that was how I was going to solve their problems. And so, you know, I've, I've got it down to four roadblocks. First one is proof of funds letter. And first off, you should not have to have a proof of funds letter to submit to you with your with your offer. If you're if you the broker constantly asks you for a POF, you're doing something wrong. And uh, you know, I had this one one student that every single time she sent out an offer, the broker would come back and ask for a POF. And I said, geez, you know, they never ask me for a POF. Why do they always ask you? And so I actually got on the phone call with her. I acted as her partner and we called the broker and we went through the whole thing. And by the time we hung up, the broker was accepting my offer. I didn't need a POF. And she realized that she just, it was just a confidence issue. And that's really what all this whole thing is. It's just a confidence issue. And once she felt confident and she could speak directly to the broker, she never needed a POF again. But if you need one, we can over, we can solve your problem. Second roadblock is the earnest money deposit. Now, a lot of people are like, hey, I want to make an offer on a $5 million property. Well, can you stroke a check for $50,000? Because that's what you're going to need for the earnest money. It's like, no, I, I don't have that kind of money because I just gave it to some guru. And so what you need is that uh, the ability to have earnest money available to you when uh, the time comes so that uh, you can have it ready to go. And my program, the owner forum members, have up to $50,000 available to them for the earnest money deposit. So they know they can make offers with the confidence that the, that the earnest money will be there when they need it. It does not mean I'm giving you a check for $50,000. I will get you the $50,000 strings attached, okay? So that's number uh, two. The third one is... And this is something that, that those other gurus just never teach you is that let's say you're going after that $5 million property. There is no mortgage company that's going to give you a loan for a $5 million property when you've never been in this business before. So now what they need is not just a down payment, but a key principal, someone who's qualified, who can get you over the hump, who can, who can sign on the dotted line and non recourse and, and, and vouch for you. And other members of the owner forum are qualified key principals, and they will partner with you on these deals, and you will be able to get them, get it done. And that's the third roadblock. The fourth roadblock is the down payment. And what we do is we do everything we possibly can to help our students find the down payment, whether it's blasting out an email for you, whether it's using what we call our equity assist program, where, the, where we find you a debt lender who can also provide you equity as well. We do whatever we can. No guarantee you're going to get it, but we definitely assist our, our owner forum members every chance we can. So for the earnest money deposit, you mentioned, you know, students have access to $50,000 in earnest money. It's the risk capital. Now, for those of you that are listening, 50000 is typically a 1% for a $5 million deal that you can go right. out and take down. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, if you need more, I can get you more, but I'm not, I, I sell my services by saying I can get you 50. 
You know, if you need a hundred, well, that's going to be a little stretch. But you know, if I have to, I can get it for you. So who who hold on to this earnest money? I do. My law firm escrow account holds that money, and that is written into the purchase and sale agreement. That's why when I said that there's are there are strings attached, that's the number one string. So what we do is in the letter of intent in, in the purchase and sale agreement, we say the buyer chooses the title company and the escrow agent, which is you know the way it should be anyway. So now you're giving, you're holding escrow. You're giving template for the letter of intent. You're giving template of the purchase and sales contract. Do we need another lawyer? Oh yeah. Okay. Great question. Yes, you do because I am a lawyer. That's number one. You want to say it with me, V? I'm a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. Hire a lawyer. I mean, you. Are, I will work with your attorney. I, I have all the template documents that I want you to use because they're drafted in such a way that they protect you. So we can use my documents, but I want your local counsel to give a blessing on that document, okay? Because there are things, you know, there are certain provisions in different states that my, my template document is not legal in all 50 states. It just isn't. It can't be. That's why you need local counsel to say, hey, this is this is what... Uh, to say that we need to add this provision and that provision and we're good to go. So that's how we, we do it. So it sounds like from the back end of stuff, you're tech, you basically taking care of the student every step yeah. of the way. Yep. The student only has to go out and find deals to make yep. this happen. Then we, yep. So what are some ways that you suggest people finding deals in this hot market right now? Okay, great question, because this is a very, very hot marketplace. And I got to tell you, I, I'm a student of economics, and I love multifamily economics. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on with this with this market, because man, we've been through this. It's more than seven years now. Typically, everybody talks about the seven-year cycle, and there is no end in sight to this market. You know, I think there are going to be blips, and there are going to be corrections, but I don't think we're going to have a crash like we did before. I think... Uh, you know, my son and I, is a, he's an economics major at George Mason, and he and I were having a great conversation about what's going on. And he says, you know, what they're thinking is that those those spikes and, uh, you know, troughs and, and, and crests are flattening out over time because the information that we're able to receive is so perfect so quickly that we can make corrections a lot faster than we that we ever could before. So this particular market is still hot and it may be hot for years to come and I think part of that has to do with the uh, demand. The demand, I mean where is uh, you go down and look at Orlando. Orlando is 95% occupied. I mean it's tough to find an apartment and they're just not building them fast enough. And you know, as much as you think, you know, we got you know, the people coming over the border and and what have you. Hey, they're going to get assimilated into this country at some point, and they're going to need a place to live. And there aren't enough places to live right now. We've got to keep building more. So everybody's out there trying to get into this into this business. Everybody's trying to get out there trying to find the next deal. And what I'm finding out here is that remember I said before V this is a sales and marketing business if you are starting a sales and marketing business and you think that the most important aspect of this business prospecting for your customer which is the seller in this case 
you can outsource to a third party who you don't pay, who doesn't work for you, who has no fiduciary responsibility to you, has a hundred other people calling his phone too, asking for the same thing. And most of those guys don't work all that hard. If you think you can outsource your new business to that kind of guy and achieve success, you're in for a rude awakening, especially in this type of market. You've got to get out there and, and, and work harder than the next guy. And the way you have to do that is by identifying your market and then focusing strictly on the multifamily property in that market month after month. You're going after the owners directly. No broker involved. You're going to go after the owners directly and speak to them. That's how you're going to get ahead of the, your competition, and that's how you're going to find uh, that that first deal that you uh, that you need. So you're suggesting sending letters out to owners yeah. directly. Direct mail has worked every single time it's been tried. But the thing about direct mail is it has to be on a systematic basis. You can't just do it once and say, "Oh, it didn't work." Nope. Not going to work. Yeah, got to be consistent. Got to follow gotta up. Got to be. Yep. I, I did that in the single family home world as well. Yeah. And at the height of it, we spend a few thousand every month just to, yeah. just to get and the I'm leads out. That the multifamily world is no different, especially if you're looking in that 10 to 50 unit range. That's a tough range for brokers because it's – you know, 10 is too small for Marcus and Millichap to get excited about. But 10 is too big for a residential realtor to even understand how, how it works. So you're really, you really have to have a direct conversation with the owners, kicking out the brokers. And that's why if you're, that's a, the range where you should be looking to start in, you've got to go directly to the owners. And for those of you who are brokers listening to this call, we still love you. We're not hating you. <laughs> Just saying, Absolutely. yeah. Just pointing but out the guys, efficiency. You know, you guys are in a in a, a very hot market, and you know anything you touch, you can sell. So we gotta we gotta work twice as hard as you guys do. That's true. That's true. Now, so also for some of the market, like you mentioned, uh, or Orlando, since it's too hot, does it make sense for some of us or some newer folks? to go in and, and build apartments instead of looking for older apartments to buy. Well, yeah. I mean, if you can do that. But remember, building takes so much. I mean, there's, you got to do all the site prep. you got to uh, do all the uh, permitting, renovations, not renovations, but re, uh, excavations, all that type of work. So there's a lot involved in getting it started. Uh, I mean, I can tell you that's that's our next focus for our business is to start building in a particular area of the country. But, you know, that's that's coming coming down the road a little bit so and you are moving to this market too right which market the market that you're gonna build oh yeah 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 are you gonna tell them everybody which market it is no no hard for <laughs> not not until you're there yeah i know i was gonna say i'm not wearing the golf shirt for that area Today, I almost put it on. Though I'm glad I didn't so somebody would recognize it. But the other thing, too, a new investor, you know, because I said Orlando's hot, don't go to Orlando. Go to the secondary and the tertiary markets around Orlando and get started. I love the story of Paul Worcester and his, and his family. They were out in uh, the, you know, Washington, northwest area, and they couldn't afford to get started out there. 
So they packed up the whole family and they moved to Kansas City, Missouri. And when they got to Kansas City, they couldn't afford Kansas City. So they started to go to the secondary and tertiary markets of Kansas City. Now I think they own over 3,000 apartment units in Kansas City because they got started. You got to get started. Were they one of your first students? They, I'm trying to remember how I, they, he came to my due diligence seminar and, uh, that's a great class. I mean, I don't even do the due diligence seminar anymore. I have recorded it all and it's all on, on my membership site, but he came to, geez, I want to say we were in LA for that. And, uh, and uh, that's when I met Paul uh, Worcester. Got the whole story. I want to uh, try to get him on my podcast coming up. But he's um, just an, an amazing story. Absolutely success, amazing success story. Awesome. Well, thanks, Charlie. Now this is the time for our rapid fire round. It's fast and easy. Oh. Question and answer that I ask all the guests. Okay. You ready? Okay. Here we go. My coffee. Go ahead. What is the one special ability that you wish you had? Oh. To travel back in time. <laughs> travel back in time. You need uh, the flux capacitor. I do. <laughs> I think I'm all I'm ever going to get as a DeLorean. <laughs> That's still good, though. Now, which single habit gives you 80% of your success or your result? Uh, making, uh, you know, just getting up every morning and getting in a routine. I'm, I'm a pretty auto automated plug and play person. You know, I come, I go to the same place every morning for my, my uh, smoothie. I get my coffee. I, I go to work out at the Y at, you know, six o'clock in the morning. It's a very automated uh, business. And, and that's the thing I found out about success. Successful people are those people that do things that other people don't like to do. And they do it on, on a regular basis. So that is, I saw my dad do that. I saw the other successful people do that. So that is probably, you know, just you get into a system and you make, you tweak the system, but you're going to keep doing it every day. So have a morning routine. Yep. 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 And what's, then, uh, yeah. So what's another profession other than your own that you think it would be fun to attempt? Oh, man. Okay. So we can't, like, I would love to have worked in a courtroom. I didn't, and I didn't go down that path with uh, my law degree, but I think being a, a defense attorney would have been a blast. But I listen, I say that, and then I tell that to my friends who are defense attorneys, and they're like, no, no, you were so wrong. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, if you're a defense attorney and you're like that Jim Carrey uh, character oh. and couldn't lie, then maybe not. I know. Well, I don't lie anyway. That's, that's what gets me into trouble is that I, I don't lie. I can't lie. I tell my students, this deal stinks. Don't do this deal. Oh, no. What are you talking about? How dare you say that? I'm like, eh, tell me. let me tell you something. This is how it works. Yeah, no, that's, and I see so many of these gurus out there that do lie, and uh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Now, so you've been investing in real estate a long time. Now, how has investing in real estate helped you fulfill your dream or your life goal? Oh, I am living my life goal right now. I am just, I've got a phenomenal business. I, I work because I want to. I love what I do. I get paid so well for it. I'm, I'm buying my own plane. I'm, uh, I got my kids in college. Everything's paid for. I, listen, I am doing, I am living the life that I've always dreamt of living, all because of the, of the real estate business. 
That's great. That's great to hear.、Yeah. Who do you think I should interview next on a future episode of the Real Estate Lab podcast? Okay. Well, listen. If you're out there teaching people about new concepts in real estate, you heard my podcast the other day with Brett Swart. Yes. Listen, the the feedback I'm getting on that call is unbelievable. You gotta talk to Brett Swartz about deferred sales trusts, and、uh, and how you you as a buyer can use it, and how you can educate sellers for it, or whether if you're a realtor or a broker, what you need to know about these things. It's it's a game changer. As as you know,、uh, you know V Bob Bryanton,、uh, one of my clients, he owns over six thousand apartments. On the chat box on that podcast, after he heard Brett talk. Just typed in. This is a game changer, and he's absolutely right. It's true. It, it was truly a game changer, and was eye opening to see、yeah. this, this concept. Yep. So, can you help me make、uh, get an introduction to him? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I can do that. Yeah. As soon as, you know, as, soon as we get off the call, I will、uh, send him an email and connect the two of you. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have for today's show. Charlie, thank you so much for being with us. You have been Awesome! I appreciate you. your time. I'm truly honored to have you as a guest and mentor. Oh, my pleasure, V. You've been an awesome friend, and I really love working with you. Hey there, lab mate. You have just finished listening to this episode with my mentor and attorney, Charles Dobbins. If you want to follow him, you can go to www.multifamilyinvestingacademy.com. You can also reach out to him. His email is Charles at Dobbins D O B E N S Law dot com. Hey, and also, if multifamily is something that you are interested in learning more, you heard Charlie's mention on today's episode about his Owners Forum program. You can join the free trial that Charlie's offering. Just go ahead and email info at multifamilyinvestingacademy dot com. Mention my name or the show's name to get your seven days free trial to sit in on our weekly calls with other investors in the mastermind. That's all I have for today. Have a great day ahead of you. Love the episode of the Real Estate Lab podcast? Share the show with all your friends. Subscribe and give the show a five stars rating on iTunes. Until next time, have an awesome work week.